0: If you would this morning, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets, not minor because it's less important, but because of the length of the the book. It's between Nahum and Zephaniah in the Old Testament. That's not enough. I encourage you to go to your table of contents use that table of contents, amen, Uh, because if you go too quickly, you're liable to pass up Habakkuk, because it's only three chapters, amen, Habakkuk chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 16 through 19. And the word of the Lord reads, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He takes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. May the Lord have a blessing upon the hearers and readers of his word. Amen. I like to title this message, When Things Go from Bad to Worse. When things go from bad to worse. Have you ever witnessed, maybe on a video, a crime or an assault take place and bystanders just sit by and they don't do anything? Uh, when you know that someone should step in and try to help someone maybe who's been victimized in some particular way and, and you just you just want to, to just scream maybe at the screen or the TV or the video or whatever and say, do something. That's kind of what the prophet Habakkuk kind of felt like toward God initially in this book. He starts off his book by questioning how a just God can sit idly by while there is so much injustice, corruption, and idolatry going on in his country, Judah. It kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Uh, When we look at our times in which we live and we see a young man who can be sentenced to only 6 months of jail time after being found guilty of rape. When we look at our political landscape and we see that there can be a candidate who can come within one seat removed from the presidency of the United States of America. And yet spit so much venom and hatred. And people not necessarily support all that he stands for but says I will vote for him. That's the times in which we live, and we can even look in our own personal lives today and just look at some injustices at times, amen? Amen. Uh, Sometimes in the workplace, some of you know that you are not getting paid a fair wage that you should be getting paid, or you know that you're doing the exact same job as someone else, but yet they're getting paid a little bit more than you, maybe because you are a female or because you are of a different race, or maybe it's something else. So there's injustice all over the place, and not just injustices, but there's just trouble in our own personal lives. Many of you are struggling, maybe in your marriages, you're struggling with your kids, you're struggling because your health is deteriorating. And we find ourselves sometimes responding like Habakkuk did in the beginning of this book where he says, How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Habakkuk thought God was just idly looking at all the wrongdoing with no intention of doing anything. He just thought that how could there be a just God? He didn't didn't doubt that God existed. He's actually praying to God. He's talking to God. But yet he finds himself asking God, God, why are you not doing something about what is going on in my time in my day? Truth of the matter is God is always up to something. And he lets Habakkuk know that he's up to something. In fact, no one would have, he told Habakkuk, he said, no one is going to guess what I'm going to do to cure or to address the injustice, the corruption, and all the idolatry that's going on in Judah. He says, Habakkuk, you won't even guess in a million years what I'm about ready to do. Habakkuk, he prayed that God would do something about the situation in Judah, and that's exactly what God was going to do. But in God's response, we're going to see that things would get worse before they get better. Because God is going to raise up a nation called Babylon to conquer Judah and to punish Judah for their sins. Now, that may seem okay, but the problem that Habakkuk had with Babylon punishing Judah was he says Babylon is even far worse than Judah is. He says they're more corrupt, they're more sinful, they're more ungodly than Judah is. Compared to Babylon, Judah was like a saint. They answered to nobody. They cared about nobody. They were gods to them own selves. This would be the nation that would rule over Judah. And Habakkuk said, I can't figure it out. First of all, I'm praying to you, Lord, to to, to bring about change within my land, Judah, because of all the corruption and all the the, 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 uh, the, the idolatry and all that is going on and when I do that you give me the answer that you're going to take Babylon and you're going to use them to conquer your people Judah your chosen nation and because of that things are going to get worse before they get better and that's what we see here God doesn't even initially let Habakkuk know that He's using Babylon to punish Judah. He just lets him know that He just lets him know that they're going to, that things are going to go from bad to worse. So what are we to do when things in this world and in our own lives go from, from bad to worse? Many of you are struggling in some situations where your situation isn't getting any better. In fact, it may be getting worse. Through the message today, God is, is calling you and I to trust that he knows what he's doing. When things go from bad to worse, he's calling you and I to, to know and to trust that he knows what he's doing. And it's, it's one thing to say that we trust God. It's another thing to live like we trust God. And as we look in chapter 3, Habakkuk, we'll see what it looks like. As we look at this passage, we'll see what it looks like for us to trust that God knows what he's doing. The last four verses of this chapter are part of of what some may refer to as a prayer of praise or a doxology. In the entire third chapter of this book, Habakkuk breaks out in praise to God, and that's a stark contrast to how he started out the book. And as we see, that, that's quite a bit different when we look at how he started out. He finds himself praising God in spite of the fact that things would go from bad to worse because he came to trust that God knows what he's doing in raising up Babylon. In fact, God lets Habakkuk know in chapter 2 that Babylon will be judged for their ways as well. God's ways are truly amazing. And so as we look at this particular passage we need to look at, okay, what are we to do? How are we to, to respond when things go from, from bad to worse, when we see situations that, that unfold before us? What are we to do? And the, the first thing that we see, we must wait on the Lord to deliver if we're going to trust that God knows what he's doing. Wait on the Lord to deliver. And that's exactly what we see Habakkuk doing. He, he waits on the Lord to deliver. As we look at chapter 3 and we look at verse 16, we see it declaring, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk could wait for God to deliver because God gave Habakkuk a vision or a revelation of what was going to happen in chapter 2. He told, him to, he told Habakkuk, he says, go get your tablet out, Habakkuk. He said, get your tablet out, and he said, write it down. He says, I want you to make it plain to the people about what's going to happen here. He then gives them a vision of what is going to happen to Babylon, the superpower of that time, the most powerful nation, a nation that is cruel, that is unjust, that is ungodly, that is wicked, that is harsh. God says, look at what I'm going to do to Babylon after I use Babylon to punish Judah. He's basically saying to Habakkuk, he says to Habakkuk, don't worry, Babylon is going to get theirs too. And they're not getting off and trust that God knows what he's doing. And so we see that unfold. And as we look, we can even look back to chapter one, I want you to look back at chapter one and I want you to kind of see how this unfolds in the second verse where Habakkuk first starts out in this letter and and he really first starts out is questioning God and then God responds. In verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at the wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. That's Habakkuk. That's how he felt. And then we see God responding in verse 5. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astonished, for I am doing a work in your days that you will not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, who are the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on their horsemen, come from afar, they fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. All kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by the light the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. That's how he describes Babylon. That's how God describes Babylon. He says, I'm raising them up. And they are going to punish Judah, for their sins. And what we see unfolding in this book is we see God giving him revelation of what is going to happen, and then he gives him revelation of what's going to happen to Babylon as well, and that they're going to be punished as well. And based upon God revealing himself and and, and showing Habakkuk just how great and how good he is and how awesome his plan is, Habakkuk responds in chapter 3 with a doxology of praise to God. And then we see in verse 16 where he responds basically that he's going to trust that the Lord knows what he's doing by waiting for the Lord to deliver. But as he waits for the Lord to deliver in verse 16, we see, him, we see some fear coming out of Habakkuk because we see him saying, I hear in my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones. Fear... <laughs> I tell you, he's heard from what God is is going to do. He's heard what Babylon is going to do to his people. There's going to be death. The temple is going to be raided. It's going to be destroyed. Things are never going to be the same in the landscape of Judah. And Habakkuk finds himself fearing what's going to take place to some degree. It's natural to fear when 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 you know that things are not going to get any better anytime soon. Sometimes you just fear what's going to happen. Have you ever felt like Habakkuk when you know that things are not going to get any better? And you just, something within you just starts to get a little fearful about what is going to take place. You know things are, 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 get, are going to get worse and it weighs on you physically. Right? You start to have headaches because you're just thinking so much about what's going on, your head just hurts. And so you got to pop some ibuprofen or maybe even something a little bit stronger. Amen because your head just hurts. You, you find yourself losing weight because you don't even feel like eating at times. You find yourself tired all the time because you can't even sleep like you want to through the night. You find yourself waking up at 2 o'clock, then 4 o'clock, then 6 o'clock, and then you got to go to work. And so physically, it's weighing on you about what is taking place in your life or what situation you're actually going through. And like a bakuk, you find yourself where your body is just feeling the effects of that. Ulcers and everything else start to take place. And so it's natural to fear, but it's a problem when our fear leads us to to distrust what God is going to do. It's a problem when our fear leads us to not exercise faith in God. But I think it's natural at times to fear just because of what's going to come. And I think that's what Habakkuk is at. He's at a place where he's like, I know what is going to come, and I'm, not, oh, I'm, it, it's, I'm unsettled by Babylon conquering my nation. Think about a country coming to overtake the USA. He says, I'm unsettled by the thought, but he says, yet, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't at a place where he, he had lack of faith because he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait for the Lord to deliver Wait, wait on the Lord to deliver. In spite of how he felt, Habakkuk said, yet yeah, I will wait. And that's exactly what we need to do at times in our own lives when we find ourselves in a place where things get worse before they get better. When we find ourselves in that place when we trust in that the Lord knows what he's doing, we wait on the Lord to deliver. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. The wait on the Lord means to have the assurance and the expectation that God is going to do what He said He's going to do. Regardless of what things look like or how your life is, is unfolding before you, regardless if things go from bad to worse, it's, it's, it's to believe and to trust that, okay, God has a plan and He's working it out for my good and for His glory. And that you know that God cares more for you than you can even care for yourself, so you know that God's going to take care of you. And so Habakkuk got to a place where he could resolve that, okay, God is in charge and He makes no mistakes. In other words, when you wait on the Lord, you take God at his word and you live according to it. So Habakkuk was saying, Lord, I'm going to take you at your word of what you said you're going to do. Now, keep in mind, God did not give him any timetable of how long this was going to take place. He didn't say it was going to take place for two years or whatever the case may be. Habakkuk had no idea how long this was going to take place. We know because when we look at other books like Jeremiah, that Babylon was going to be over and rule over the people for 70 years. That's a long time. But at this time, Habakkuk had no clue and no idea how long this was going to take place. And so we may not, when we're exercising, we're going to trust that God knows what he's doing. We're not going to put any timetables on how long it's going to take before God to do what he's going to do, but we're going to trust and we're going to wait on the Lord to deliver. For those who are waiting on the Lord to deliver, there's a certain peace about them that surpasses all understanding. You may not like your situation, but you know that God gives you peace to persevere through your situation. You can have that peace when you trust in God's word, and like Habakkuk, God had given His word and let us know, and He lets us know what it is to come, what is to come to those who wait on Him. Your health may be going from bad to worse, but you can wait on the Lord because His word says in Philippians three twenty through twenty one, it says, "Our citizenship is in heaven." And from from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You may weep now, but but know that he will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That's what he declares and he says to his children, his people, In Revelations 21, he says there's going to be a time, regardless of what you're going through now, he says there's going to be a time to come where there will be no more mourning, there will be no more pain, there will be no more crying. For those who may be struggling in your marriage, your marriage may be going from from bad to worse and you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, God says do not grow weary in well-doing, for if you, in due season, if if you just hold on, if you will not give up, if you, in due season, you will reap, is what he says, if you don't give up. That's what his word says. So the question is, are you going to take him at his word? Are you going to be like Habakkuk who says that, though I'm not happy with the situation, he says, yet I will wait quietly on the Lord because I trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. Why you wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord to deliver. We're not waiting on the Lord to deliver because there's no other option. Sometimes we think, well, there's nothing else I can do but to wait. There's a difference between waiting with expectation and just waiting because you can't do anything else. There's a difference. When you wait with expectation, you're eagerly knowing that God is going to do something through your situation. You know and you expect that God is going to do something that's going to to, to be for your good or for your glory. You don't know how long it's going to take. You don't know when it's going to happen. But you're trusting that God is going to do something because he said it in his word. Or you know that God is not going to leave you because you know his word says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or you may not know how you're going to get through it, but you know that he says his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in your weakness. You don't know what lies ahead tomorrow, but you know who holds tomorrow. So for that reason, you can hold on and you can wait for the Lord to deliver because you know that he's given you a revelation in his word. And God is not a God that he should lie like man that he should not tell the truth. he, God will tell the truth. God is truth and we know that his word is truth. And so we, we believe, we wait, not because we have no other option. We wait with expectation knowing that God will do what he says he's going to do. Now while you wait for the Lord, things may get worse before they get any better. That's what Habakkuk was going to face. Things are going to get worse as we look at how he he reveals in verse 16, he says that, first of all, Habakkuk is going to wait for the Lord Lord to deliver, and and then what he helps us to see is, if we're going to trust that the Lord knows what he's doing, not only do we wait for the, the Lord to deliver, but we also look to the Lord for joy as well. As we see in verse 17, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I hope we get the point here, what, what, what Habakkuk saying. Habakkuk saying, when everything else is just falling apart around me, when the most ne- necessary of things are not there. He recognizes when Babylon gets done with Judah, there won't be a landscape that looks like it is no more. The, the vegetation and the greenery won't be like it looks at that time. The temple won't be like it, like it was at before. He says that the, 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 the land is not going to produce vegetation like it used to. He says that the animals and all the things that we used to enjoy, he says it won't be there anymore. He says, but yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How does he even get to that place where he says yet? Yeah, I will rejoice in the Lord when the Lord takes everything else from me. How does he even get to that place? How, does he even, how, do you, how do you rejoice in the Lord when everything else around you is taken from you? Habakkuk understood that joy was possible even when everything else was lost. When your joy is anchored in the one who, who is the source of all joy. And so, he could bring himself to a place. He didn't like his situation. He wasn't happy with the situation, but, but he could understand and he could say, that you know what, yet I will rejoice in the Lord because in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. He knew that the Lord was his joy. And so it wasn't the circumstances around him that were going to dictate how much he rejoiced in the Lord. He could rejoice in the Lord because of who the Lord was because the Lord was mighty, because the Lord was God and is God, and because the Lord is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. He reflects back on what God has already done in leading the Israelites from Egypt through captivity or enslavement, through the exodus, and he looks back and he sees all that God has done, and he says that, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes we got to look back and look at what God has already done. Rather than looking at our current circumstance, we have to look back at what God has already done, what he's already brought us through. And then we can say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You know, I recall one day as I was headed home from, from, from work, I was headed to the church. Man, it was a, it was a gorgeous day. It was one of those days, it was, you know, it's just one of those days where it's just like beautiful. One of those days where the sun is bright, the temperature is just right, it's not too hot, not too cold. Riding in the car, you know, you got the music going and you just pull up beside somebody and you're just singing and everything. My God is an awesome God, he reigns, you know, and you're just like, man, this is nice, right? I mean, the sky was clear and everything. And so it was a good day. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, the question popped into my head. Would you still feel the same way If you were living in Syria or a country where there was a lot of rubble, would you still feel the same way if you didn't have a car to drive in and listen to that music that you're listening to? Something came to my mind and it started asking me the question, would you still feel the same way if you didn't have a job that you were coming from and you didn't know how you were going to put food on the table, would you still be able to rejoice in the Lord at that point? Would you still think today is a good day, even though the sun is up because God has raised the sun up and he keeps it up? Would you still think it's a good day if everything in your life wasn't so straight at that moment? Would you still rejoice in the Lord? And so it it really challenged me to assess who or what my joy was in. Was it in the fact that things were going so well, the circumstance was just right, the temperature was just right, the day was good? job was good, car was riding good, wasn't beat up, wasn't, you got me from A to B and everything else, was I taking joy in those facts or was I taking, taking joy in the fact that God is who he is and because I have a relationship with him through his son Jesus Christ? Did I take joy in that? Did I have joy because of the state of my condition or was the joy, or was my joy the result of who I am in Christ Jesus? And so I think it's should challenge each and every one of us. At times we, 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 we feel like we got joy, maybe because things are going well, but what, how do we respond when the Lord removes some of those things in our life? Will we still rejoice in the Lord when things are a little bit shady? When we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? Will we still rejoice in the Lord? That's the question. That's where we see Habakkuk. He's able to, to rejoice. God wants to get us to a place in which our joy is not rooted in our circumstance, but our joy is rooted and found in him and him alone. And certainly we can rejoice and we can have joy because of the Lord's blessings and what he's done for us, but we should not take our eyes off of the one who, gave, who is the source of all joy. And the Lord sometimes has to remove these things from our, our life in order to help to, make, to, to remind us of, 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 of where our, our love and our joy should be anchored and it shouldn't be anchored in our circumstance. How do you know that you have joy in spite of your circumstance? You know you have joy in spite of your circumstance when you're able to rejoice in the Lord no matter the situation. When you have joy, you may not feel like it, but but you can find a reason to sing a song of praise to God even when you don't feel like it. Even when your body is aching, you can still bring up something within you and say, Lord, you are good, and I love you. It's, you can still shang, sing a, a shout of praise when your car is breaking down and you, and you don't know how you're going to get from point A to point B. You can still at some point say, Lord, I, I know that you're good and, and you've done more for me than, than I can even imagine or even I, I even deserve. Or when your marriage is, is struggling a little bit, you can still fall down on your knees and you can just give the Lord praise because of who he is. That's how we, we, we sometimes start to gauge if our joy is anchored in our circumstance or if our joy is anchored in the Lord. You may not have much money in your bank bank account, but you can rejoice when you know from whom all blessings flow. You know that God will supply every need of yours according to the rich riches in his glory. You know that you can give glory to God. So that's what, that's what Habakkuk does when when he finds himself in this particular place, he says, when all these things take place, he says, yes, I, I will rejoice in the Lord. That's what we see in this particular chapter. In chapter 3, we see that he's, just, he's got a song of praise to God in spite of what is to come. He realizes that God knows what he's doing. Even though things would go from bad to worse, it leads him to worship God. I want to let you know that there could be no rejoicing without joy. If our joy is rooted in our situation, when it changes for the worse, we will find ourselves unable to rejoice in who God is. When you have joy, you can come into the church house and you can give God praise. Even though you don't have a lot to, 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 to going on around you where you feel like you should be praising, you know that, you, you know that the Lord is worthy of all praise. And if you're not there yet, I'm I'm here to tell you that there's going to be a time where you're going to get to that place if the Lord allows you to live long enough. Amen. Notice that Habakkuk said in verse 16, he says that yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon us to people to go down in verse 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of who of my salvation. So Habakkuk focuses on the fact that God is a God who saves, and when we know, when you when you know just what God has brought you from, when you know that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, and when you know, but God, being rich in mercy, you know when you know what God has done and what how He's coming to your life when you didn't deserve it. When you, when you weren't seeking God, when you know that God awakened you by his grace and he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, when you know these things, then you can rejoice in the Lord no matter your circumstances. You know you can rejoice. And then when others see all that's going on around you in your life, and they say, why do you have so much joy? You say, my joy is not based on my car, my joy is not based on my house, My joy is not based on the condition of my marriage. My joy is based on the Lord and the Lord alone because of what he's done for me. And because I know that I was a sinner and I'm saved by grace. And I know that because Jesus Christ loved me enough to die on the cross for my sins, I can rejoice. The Lord gives me reason to rejoice each and every day, regardless of what my circumstances are. He's given you a reason to rejoice. And the Lord has to remove some of those things at times in our life to say, okay, where's your joy rooted? Lest we forget what he's already done. The joy, is he the joy of your salvation? We say it all the time. If the Lord never does anything else for me, he's already done enough. But if the Lord removes some things from our life, will we still say that same thing? The Lord's trying to get us to a place where we acknowledge that he is enough, that he is our satisfaction. Whom do I have in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but the Lord is my desire, my portion, forever. That's where he's trying to get us to. Where It's like if everything else fails, Lord, you're still enough. You're still enough. God plus nothing means everything what he's trying to get us to that's the mathematical equation he's trying to get us to no supplements are needed for you God because you're just that good because you sustain me you keep me you or, you order my feet Lord God you and you alone keep me Lord God you the one who gives me breath to breathe it is you Lord so the Lord's trying to get us to that place where we have joy not just happiness <laughs> because happiness is based on what's happening Joy is based on just the Lord and the Lord alone. And so regardless of what takes place, you're like, Lord, I still love you. You still may question some things that are going on, but you say, Lord, I still will rejoice. I don't, I don't understand it, but I still will rejoice. I don't know what you're doing. It, it looks kind of messed up to me, Lord God, but I still will rejoice. And you can remind yourself that the worry says that my ways are not your ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. He says, look to him for your joy. That's when we trust that the Lord knows what he's doing, when we can still rejoice, when we look to him for our our joy. Not only do we trust that the Lord knows what he's doing by waiting on him to deliver or looking to him for our joy, but we also trust that the Lord knows what he's doing by leaning on him for strength during our time of need. As we look at verse 19, that's where Habakkuk finds himself. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes makes me tread on my high places. Just in that one verse, Habakkuk says, the Lord is my strength. Habakkuk recognizes that I'm going to make it through this, not because I'm so good or because I'm so strong. I'm going to make it through it because the Lord is my strength. And because the Lord is on my side, he says that I know I'm going to make it. I'm going to persevere. He says the Lord is my strength. He's going to keep me up on every side. He's going to hold me up. And many of you know those situations that you're going through, you don't know how you got through it. You don't know what what came about you, but you know that the Lord saw you through. You know without a shadow of a doubt that if it had not been for God on your side, where would you be? Where would you be? And you can just look back and you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for getting me through Thank you for not letting me fall, fall down and not be able to recover again. Thank you, Lord, for not allowing me to doubt you and to turn away and to fall away in my faith towards you. Thank you, Lord God, for enabling me and giving me the strength to fight the good fight of faith. Thank you, Lord. That's what Ibaka, he says. he says, I will declare that the Lord is my strength. It is God, he says, who keeps my feet stable. Like like a deer, he says, like a deer, he says, he's the one who keeps me stable. So when somebody says, how are you able to stand? He says that it's the Lord who keeps me standing. Not only does he keep you standing, he says he allows you to go over your high places. Some of you have some high places in your life. I don't know what those high places look like. Those high places may be a marriage issue. It may be money issues. It may be health issues. It may be addiction issues. I don't know what it is. But when you turn to the Lord, and you look to him for your strength, you can be like Habakkuk who says, he makes me tread on my high places. <laughs> he lets you walk over like you're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who's in you. He allows you to tread on your high places so that you're not succumbed to your circumstance, but you're able to rise above your circumstance. But God. I like what J. Ronald Blue said. He says, the way to get out from under the load is to get right under the Lord. To be under the Lord is to be over the circumstances. When you know that the Lord is on your side, you know that he won't let you fall. He won't let you be done. No weapon formed against me shall prosper is what his word says. And so yet I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord because I know that the Lord is my strength. Paul knows what that's like. Paul knows what that's like because there were many times where he was about done in himself. And he knew that it wasn't because he was so wise. It wasn't because he was so great. It wasn't because he was so strong that he made it through. He knew that the only reason he made it through was because he leaned on the Lord for strength. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If we can just divert over there real quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1. This particular situation always kind of amazes me in verses 8 through 9. Actually, 8 through 10. 2 Corinthians, I just want to give you a, an illustration of what this looks like. To lean on the Lord for strength. In verse 8, he says in 2 Corinthians 1, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Did you get that? He says, we burdened beyond our own strength. And then in verse 9, he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul says, felt like we, we received a death sentence. And then he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us. Did you see what Paul said? He said that, he said this, this came about, he says, so that so to make us to not rely on ourselves but the Lord who's the one who gives us our strength. And many of you declare that famous verse, um, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what it looks like, where you lean on the Lord. Not just you can do all things through Christ like dunking a basketball or something like that, where we use that out of context sometimes. That's taking a little bit extreme, but where he says that through all that I go through, through my, through my pearls and through my tribulations, through my, through my afflictions and through everything that I'm going through, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I know that he's got me. I'm convinced This is one reason the Lord will indeed put more on us than what we can bear. Not, we hear the scripture, or we hear the, there's no scripture verse that says the Lord will not put more on you than you can bear. That's not scripture. You take it out of context, where so the Lord will not tempt you, and he he will always leave your way out, but the Lord will put more on you than you can bear so that you rely on him And not yourself, so that you will look to Him for strength and not ourselves. The Lord will put more on you to bear so that you will lean on Him and not yourself or not someone else. Paul describes this situation. He says, We we were in a situation that seemed hopeless, We we had a death sentence. So things may go from bad to worse, but know that God will give you the strength to rejoice even in the midst of it, because he is your strength and he is your salvation. And sometimes when we get on situations and we wonder if God is going to give us strength and he's with us, like Habakkuk wondered in chapter 1, Lord, are you really with us? Are you hearing my prayer? How many times do I have to pray to you and, and cry out to you and you not help? Sometimes we just have to wonder about certainly the, the greatest thing that God has done for us already in sending his son Jesus Christ to down the cross for us. If he loved you that much, how much more will he not do for you? We lean on the Lord for strength as we turn to him in prayer. That's how we, we, we demonstrate or we, we, we show the Lord that we're leaning on him for strength by going to him in prayer. When we call out to the Lord in prayer, it reveals that we're not depending on our own strength, our wisdom, or our ability to get us through what we're going through, but that we're trusting in God to see us through. Do you find yourself on your knees fighting your battles rather than talking to other people? Do you find yourself on your knees calling out to the Lord like Habakkuk did in chapter 1, even when he says, Lord, I'm calling out to you? Do you find yourself on your knees seeking the Lord for strength? That's what it looks like to lean on the Lord for strength. So if we're going to trust that God knows what he's doing when things go from bad to worse, we must wait on the Lord to deliver, we must look to the Lord for joy, and we must lean on the Lord for strength. God's response to use Babylon to punish Judah for their sins was was just unimaginable. And that's we see just in this one book, this particular situation, Habakkuk's book, this unimaginable situation that no one else could see, no one else could fathom, but But we also see that there's something else that God did, even however imaginable it was to think that God would use Babylon to punish Judah for their sins. He did something even more unthinkable than that. And as we look at Genesis through Revelations, we see just this, uh, everything centered around this salvation and this redemptive plan that the Lord has, that he would send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. So as God used Babylon, a wicked and an unholy and ungodly nation to punish Judah, God says that I'm going to do something even more unthinkable and unimaginable. And Paul even said it's a mystery. I don't understand. It's the mystery of Christ. It's hidden. God veiled it, for hidden, hidden it for ages, and now it's revealed in the New Testament. He says that God sent his only son. He sent his, his very self. In the, in the person of a man like you and me, with the flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins and my sins, stood six hours on the cross in the heat of the day, being mocked, being spit at, being tempted to come down off the cross, but he wouldn't come down off the cross because he loved you and me too much. Even though he had the power to do it, he didn't come down off the cross. Even though he told Peter, he says, I can call down legions of angels and I can take care of this in one swell swoop. If I called out to God, he would send them. But he said, because I love you too much, I'm not going to do it. He told Peter, when Peter said that, I'm not going to let you go to the cross, he said, get behind me, Satan, because he says, I love you too much because God is, God, I, I got I to obey the Father more than I obey you. He says, I love you too much to not allow you to join me in heaven if you put your faith in me. He says, I love you too much and so we see this unthinkable plan that God had and that he was sent his only begotten son. Jesus was perfect. Without sin, he knew no sin is what he said. And it's difficult for us, I think, to comprehend it sometimes because we hear it a lot. But at the same time, we're looking forward rather than, we're looking backwards rather than looking forward. And so it's it's, it's easier for us to kind of comprehend that this is a plan that God would do. But when you think about just the plan of redemption and what God did in sending his son and the weight of our sin and how God poured out his wrath on his own son, Jesus Christ. It wasn't necessarily just the pain of the nails that, were, that hurt so much. It was the fact that he, he would experience the full wrath of God. And for a moment, the Lord God turned away from him. He experienced something at that time on the cross that God the Father and God the Son had never experienced had never experienced. Even to the point to where it was dark (laughs) when he took your sins and my sins on the cross. And some would look at it and they said, something is not going right here. We've never had this happen during a crucifixion. And the veil was torn so that you and I could have access to the Father and we could be reconciled and have peace with God the Father through our faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. That's what God has done. That's the plan of redemption. And he started back in Genesis chapter 3. It started a long time ago. In fact, it started before time even began. That's how amazing God is. He says, before I even say let there be, he says that this is what's going to happen. Because I know Adam and Eve are going to sin against me. He says, I know that's going to happen. I'm going to raise up someone named Abraham, and I'm going to lead him, and he's he's not going to have any children, but then I'm going to move miraculously so that his wife, Sarah, would have, uh, would have a, a son named Isaac, and then through Isaac that he would bless all the, the nations. And then after all this takes place, he's going to lead his children, Israel, from Egypt all the way through to the promised land, Canaan. He says, I'm doing a thing that you won't even understand what I'm doing. He says, it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. He says, I'm just giving you a foretaste of what's going to happen. And you see this sin, you see this cycle of sin throughout the Old Testament, and you see this unfolding And you see, how can God love a people who don't love him all the same? And you see us backsliding a lot of times, just like the Israelites were backsliding, and God still is faithful to his promise because it started back in chapter 3. I mean, it started back before the beginning of time. And God's going to say, I'm going to show you just how good my grace is. (laughs) I'm going to show you just how good I am. That I knew how wicked you were going to be. I knew how unloving you were going to be. I knew you were going to rebel me. I knew you were going to curse at me. I knew you were going to sleep with this person and that person. I knew you were going to be looking at pornography. I knew you were going to be addicted to drugs. I knew you were going to lie. You were going to cheat. You were going to steal. You were going to work your way to the top and do whatever you can do. But he says, I knew all these things were going to happen, yet I still sent my son Jesus Christ to down the cross for you. He says, that's how much I love you. He says, that's how much I love you. I gave you my best in my son, Jesus Christ. That's love. That's love. That's unconditional love. That's what love looks like. So he did something that was unfathomable. And all that Paul could say is, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable are his Ways He says that it's just so deep. I says, how can you figure it out? That's God. I come to tell you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, regardless of how bad things get, you can rest knowing that God has already taken care of your worst problem, which is our sin. And because your sin debt is paid for by Christ. The suffering you are enduring, it cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed to us. He says it can't compare. I know it's difficult now. I know whatever you may be going through. I know situations may be going from bad to worse. It's nothing to take lightly, but he says whatever you're going through now, he says it can't compare. So he says to wait on the Lord to deliver. Look to the Lord for your joy and lean on the Lord for strength. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ by accepting Him as your Lord and Savior, my prayer is that you will see that no problem you experience in this life, no problem that you experience or endure in this life, will compare to the problem you're going to have before you when you stand before the judgment seat of God and God will judge you for your sins. And He says, just one sin, you're guilty. What about a lifetime of sin? Your greatest problem, he said, the thing is, you think things are bad now, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's going to get unimaginably worse. It's going to get unimaginably worse. And I say this not to scare you. I say this because it's the truth. I say this to try to help you to see what is to come for those who refuse his son, Jesus Christ. Word says that how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape his wrath if we neglect so great a salvation? I pray that you, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, that you will turn to Jesus Christ today and put your faith in him and know that he is already taking care of your greatest problems. And that you too will spend one day, one day you will spend uh, with him in eternity with his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way, and there's no better time than now. Let us pray.